We are in a series called 44. Uh, that's a series, a study through the book of Acts. We're calling it 44 because the book of Acts is the 44th book in the Bible. And uh, we're diving deep into the first four verses here of Acts chapter 2. We're taking our time because uh, what happens here in Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, sets the table for the rest of the book of Acts. And literally, it sets the table for the rest of the Christian church that, that started on the day of Pentecost all the way up to the present date, the present time. And we're looking at the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we've been having a good time. If, uh, if you're here for the very first time, uh, once again, thanks for being with us here at Trinity. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you haven't been in church for a long time. You decided to come. We're just so glad that you're here. We hope that you sense God's presence reaching out and touching your heart. And uh, we hope this service will be an encouragement to you. You know, here at Trinity, we take the Bible seriously but we don't take ourselves too seriously, okay? Uh, you know, we believe in having fun. We believe it's a place where it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Uh, that God wants to change your life from the inside out. But here at Trinity, uh, we also believe it's an intersection. Uh, it's an intersection where biblical truth and cultural relevancy collide. So uh, we're going to say some things that are soundly biblical, and we hope that you would prayerfully consider the things that we will be teaching you today. But we will also be sharing some things that might sound controversial, all right? So we ask you to also prayerfully take in the things that we, uh, we share and uh, test the spirits, as the Bible says we're to do, and measure it up against what Scripture teaches, and then you can come to your own determination as to some of the things that I will be presenting to you today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were in Costa Rica, my wife and I, with uh, some other adult sponsors, and we were on the uh, uh, senior trip for Trinity Christian School uh, graduating class of 2014. And at the end of the trip, we were in the Costa Rican International Airport, and we were standing in the food court area, and we were standing in line uh, to get some breakfast at KFC. So the influence of America is felt around the world. And uh, we're standing in line, and uh, a couple of our, our young ladies that were part of our, our, our graduating class were in line, and they were ahead of me, and we were waiting patiently. And all of a sudden, there was pandemonium that broke out. And, and uh, the girls began to say, it's so-and-so, it's so-and-so. And they all ran over to this table where there was this individual that was sitting down eating his meal, and I looked at my wife and I go, wow, what's going on? She goes, I don't know. It's something about Sean Pablo. And I'm like, Sean Pablo? Who's Sean Pablo? And uh, later I found out, you know, it was Juan Pablo. And he's this famous guy from the Bachelor series. And I couldn't believe how fast our young ladies darted to his table. Supersonic sound of speed. They broke the record. They could have beaten Usain Bolt in the 100-meter race, you know? And they were all excited and elated, and they were taking pictures with him, and I was scratching my head, but I was thankful that I was next in line because of that. <laughs> I'm like, wherever you are, thanks. Okay, I, this is what I want. I was hungry. And, and a couple things came out of that experience. First of all, I was glad my wife didn't know who Juan Pablo was. <laughs> We'd be having a conversation, and she's like, oh, I just love Juan Pablo. He's like, no, okay. Uh, the second thing I thought, you know, I've been in Costa Rica with the, uh, the graduating class all week. And not one of those young ladies came up to me and said, hey, aren't you Pastor Toady? I have this question about the Bible that I've always been. As I thought about that moment, I thought, you know, that's how we should be as elated and excited to learn biblical truth. You know, like, it's Sunday? Awesome! I can't wait to get to church. 
okay, well, I tried it anyway. You know, I thought, this is kind of what happened on the day of Pentecost, you know. There were 2,000 worshipers from around the world, extra people in Jerusalem around that time. And when this moment occurred, the sound of heaven like a rushing mighty wind and, and then tongues of fire sat upon each of them and all this commotion stirred and aroused the attention of everyone that was in Jerusalem that day, and they rushed to see what was happening. And so let's rush to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, to see what was happening. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. God, thank you for this section of Scripture. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing illumination to our hearts and minds. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can open up our hearts to biblical truth today. And we could receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit or a brand new baptism of the Holy Spirit and his fire in our own lives. We pray and ask this now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. So we talked last week about the important symbols that are used here for the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. A few weeks ago, we talked about the importance of the day of Pentecost or the feast of Pentecost. Then we talked about one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned here is the symbol of wind. And so we had a whole message on wind. And, and why are these symbols important for us to take a, a moment, take time, take an entire service, and to talk through these symbols? Because symbols in the Bible are used like lenses that allow us to see the unseen. So through these symbols, we're able to see uh, into the, the personhood and into the work and the ministry of the third member of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So in the Bible, he's compared to wind. In the Bible, he's compared to water. But the two phenomenons that were used on the day of Pentecost, and they only happened once on this day, there were, there were subsequent baptisms of the Holy Spirit or infillings of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, uh, those occurred frequently and regularly, but the wind and fire only happened once because this was a significant first time the Holy Spirit was being poured out on the church. So the Holy Spirit's like wind and the Holy Spirit's like fire. We're going to look at that in our message today. Now, we all love fire. We're all fascinated with fire. Uh, there's, not a, there's probably not a guy in this service uh, that at some point growing up you wanted to be a fireman. Right? I mean, we're just like always been fascinated with fire. As kids, we have to be told, don't play with fire because fire is dangerous. There's just something that attracts us to fire. And the Bible has a lot to say about fire. You've heard about Lot's wife, right? She was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. Okay, that joke didn't work last night either, so. <laughs> Are you with me? Come on. Not enough coffee this morning? Hey, did you know that the wise men, the wise men in the Bible were actually, their occupation, they were firemen. How do we know that? Because the Bible says they came from afar. Afar? <laughs> okay. All right, now the word fire in the Old Testament is from the Hebrew word esh, E-S-H. And it's from the Greek word pur, P-U-R, in, in, the, in the New Testament, and that Greek word, the, the root meaning of, of, of that is where we get our English word pyromaniac 
and we get the word pure. Our word pure is derived from that. So here's the, here's the theological fact. Fire in the Bible symbolizes God's presence, divine punishment, and the Spirit's purifying work. So fire in the Bible represents the presence of God, the punishment of God, and purification. Let's look at the examples in the Old Testament on fire because it'll help give us a deeper understanding, meaning of what happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, In the Old Testament, the very first time God shows up and appears and speaks to a man, that man was Abram, who later became Abraham. His name was changed to Abraham. That happened in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God appears to Abram, and he's going to enter into this unilateral covenant with Abram. And the way God chooses to manifest his presence to Abram at that moment was through a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. You can read about that in Genesis 15, 17. The next time God appears to somebody uh, and uses fire is with Moses uh, when he was, uh, you know, in the wilderness. And in Exodus 3, 2, this bush begins to burn but doesn't burn up. And out of that burning bush, God speaks to Moses and calls Moses Uh, to a very special work. At the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, God spoke through a fire that burned. You can read about that in Exodus 19 or Exodus 24, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And then uh, God sent fire down on Elijah's sacrifice in 1 Kings 18. Uh, He was having this contest with the prophets of Baal, and uh, he challenged them. He said, you build an altar, you put a sacrifice on that altar, you pray to your God, Baal, and and I'll pray to my God, and we'll see which God answers by fire. And of course, you know the story. Uh, They prayed all day, nothing happened. Uh, Before Elijah got the last syllable of prayer out of his mouth, fire came down from heaven and devoured the sacrifice. And then there's this prophet, Zechariah, and he foresaw a time when Jerusalem would not have to be protected uh, with physical walls around the city of Jerusalem because in Zechariah 2.5, God promised that he would be a wall of fire, a wall of fire and protection around the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. And then the first time that fire was actually used as an instrument of God's punishment uh, and judgment for sin It occurred in Genesis 19 when fire and brimstone rained down upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because their sins had reached the heavens. You know, it's interesting that Jesus tells us in uh, Luke's gospel chapter 17, as it was in the days of Lot, or as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And we can't help but simply look at what's happening in our country today and realize that the moral depravity and the degradation and the decline, the moral and spiritual decline in our nation today, church family, is a sign of the times in which we live in. I don't know if you saw the recent cover to Time Magazine, the latest issue of Time Magazine that's coming out. Time Magazine has the picture of a transvestite on the cover and the the lead story in this new time magazine will be that how transgender civil rights are going to be the new push here in america matter of fact chuck hagel the defense secretary under this presiding 
uh, under the authority of this current administration, Chuck Hagel was on television just the other day and said, we need to reconsider allowing transvestites to serve in the U.S. military. It has to come under consideration. So we see the door being opened to perversion in our country like we have never, ever seen at any other time in the history of this nation. I read in the news, to, to my dismay, I read in the news, it came out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, there is an army veteran who was born a man, but believes he's a woman, and Health and Human Services, the HHS department, has just authorized for his, and I'm quoting, sex reassignment procedure to go forward. And guess who will pay for that? Medicare will pay for that, uh, which basically means you and I, our hard-earned tax dollars that we send to Washington, will now pay for this type of perversion to be validated in a surgical way. I say it's time for God's servants to put the trumpet to their mouth and sound the alarm. That the hour is late, but hope has not yet been lost. For God says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their own sin, for judgment begins at the house of God. God's promise to hear from heaven and heal our land. I believe the greatest revival that America has ever experienced is at the door if we will simply humble ourselves and seek the face of God and Pray to him, or the fire will fall. In Leviticus chapter 10, there's another instance where fire was used as punishment. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, the Bible tells us, they walked into the Holy of Holies, uh, and they offered up strange fire. And because they offered up strange fire, the heavens opened, and the fire of God fell and burnt them to a crisp. Now, it becomes clear here in Acts chapter 2 why at the giving of the Holy Spirit, wind and fire was mentioned. Why? Because fire is a sign of, of God's uh, uh, his, his presence. Uh, it's also uh, a sign of his punishment, and it's also a sign of purity. And this fire of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was combustible fire. It was how the church started. It was ignited by this baptism in fire, and a fire that began to burn in the hearts of 120 devoted followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, and it's the same fire that has been burning over the last 2,000 years, a fire that the enemy cannot douse, the fire that an enemy cannot put out, a fire that started in Acts 2, and a fire that is still raging around the world today, and you and I, our roots, our heritage, can be traced back to this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we should all be men and women who have been touched with this same fire. Amen, church? So many years later, after the day of Pentecost, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica. Notice what he says in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Let's read this out loud together. Do not quench the Spirit. Say it again. Do not quench the spirit. You know what he was telling the Thessalonian believers is that we can douse, we can, we can put out the spirit's fire in our churches. We can put out the spirit's fire in our own hearts. 
And so the admonition of Scripture is don't quench the Holy Spirit. That word quench, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to extinguish a fire. To extinguish a fire. So the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is associated with fire. Look at what John the Baptist said about the day of Pentecost. In, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with, say it with me, fire. So John is saying, listen, I baptize with water. That's a good thing. But the one that's coming after me, he's greater than me. He is supreme to me. He supersedes me. His ministry supersedes me. All I can do is baptize you with water, but he will take it a, a notch higher. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with Say it with me. Fire. Now, you know, we believe in water baptism here at Trinity. Water baptism is not an option. It's not a suggestion in Scripture. It is a commandment. If you've been born again, if you've been saved, it's a command to be water baptized. Water baptism doesn't save you. It's an outward expression of an inward grace. It's how we publicly profess our faith in Christ. It's how we identify with Jesus in his death as we go under the water, burial, as we go into the water, and as we come up out of the water, his resurrection. So it's an outward demonstration of what has already occurred in our hearts. It doesn't save you. Faith alone in Christ alone is what saves you. But it is a command in Scripture. And you know, two weeks ago, we had a wa water baptism service, and we baptized 65 people. Isn't that awesome? Many of you were a part of that. And we're so excited. Uh, we definitely believe in uh, water baptism, okay? But Jesus promised, John promised that when Jesus would come, he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, we know how to do this water baptism stuff. We built this beautiful water feature, this waterfall. In, in, they're in Trinity Central, right? And, and you can be water baptized out there. What's this baptism in fire? Do we have to build this big furnace, heat it up real hot, and then ask for people that want to be signed up for this baptism in the Holy Spirit in fire? You know, how many of you would sign up? Now, we just want you to run through there real quick, and that fire will singe all the sin that may still be a part of your life, okay? Yeah, I, I, no takers, I know. I'm with you. Now, Jesus, this baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire is what took place on the day of Pentecost, okay? And look at what Jesus said in Luke 12, 49. Luke 12, 49. Jesus said, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. Let's read that together. I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. What's the fire that Jesus wanted to start? It's the Spirit's fire in the hearts of his people that would leap from person to person and would spread all around this world. On the day of Pentecost, these tongues of fire sat upon each of the 120 disciples that were in that upper room. And this means that the blessing of the Holy Spirit is both corporate, because all 120 received it, and individual. Because every single person present that day, 
It didn't matter what your spiritual rank was because really there is no spiritual rank in the kingdom of God. Uh, we're all sons and daughters of the Most High God. Peter got the same Holy Spirit that Mary got, and Mary got the same Holy Spirit that John got. And all the 120 that were in that upper room, they had, they had the same experience of baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, fire does three things. For those of you that are taking notes, you're going to want to write this information down. Fire does three things. Number one, it warms. Fire warms. There's an amazing story in uh, the Gospels about uh, uh, an event that occurred right after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, remember, after the resurrection of Jesus, he appeared to over 500 of his followers over a 40-day period. This story is one of those uh, uh, occurrences. Uh, these two guys were walking down this road, and it's called the road because they were going to Emmaus. It's called the road to Emmaus. And as they're walking, this stranger shows up. The stranger happens to be Jesus, but they don't know that it's Jesus yet because Jesus had not yet revealed himself to them. This is the resurrected Savior of the world, right? So they're walking and they're talking, and Jesus begins to describe things to them about himself from the Scriptures. He begins to expound on the Holy Scriptures. Now, the New Testament was not written yet. The Gospels had not even been written yet. They were yet to be written. So what's the Scripture that Jesus was using in this story? It's Old Testament Scripture. Hey, how many of you know that the Old Testament is as much the Bible as the New Testament is the Bible. Amen? We need the entirety of God's Word. Some people say, well, you know, we're no longer under the Old Covenant. We don't even need to read that anymore. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, it, the entirety of it is the Word of God, and all of it points to Jesus. So Jesus is using the Old Testament, right, and he's speaking to these guys. And they don't know it's Jesus until the end of the day, Jesus finally reveals himself to them. And these two guys, they're not much different than us. They're probably kicking themselves, thinking, man, I knew it was Jesus. I should have acted on that intuition. I mean, how could we have spent all day long with him? He's talking to us out of the scripture all day long, and we didn't even recognize that it was Jesus. How do we know that? Because look at what it says in verse 32 of Luke 24. Luke 24, 32. And they said to each other, it felt like a fire burning in us when Jesus talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. It felt like what? A fire burning inside of us as he spoke the scriptures to us. You know how we know that our life has been touched by Jesus? We know that our life has been touched by Jesus Whenever Jesus is talked about from the scriptures, our hearts become strangely warmed within us. Look at a couple other translations. The New Living Translation says, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us? I love that. Another uh, translation says, uh, they said to each other, when he talked with us along the road and explained the scriptures to us, didn't it warm our hearts. And then one last uh, uh, translation, um, they began telling each other how their hearts had felt strangely warm as he talked with them and explained the scriptures during the walk down the road. 
This is the Spirit's fire burning in our hearts as we read Scripture, as we study Scripture. It is my hope and prayer that even now, as we talk about Christ from the Scriptures, that your hearts are being strangely warmed within you. Why is that important? You know, I can give you a piece of iron, and I can ask you, make something out of this piece of iron. And You can have a hammer and chisel, and you can hammer that thing and chisel that thing all day long. You're not making that into anything. But if you have enough heat, if you can put it and, and heat it up, put it in fire and heat it up long enough, that iron will actually become like that fire. It will consume it. And at that moment, you can form it and fashion it into anything you want. You know, God wants us to get hot enough for him. He wants the fire of the Holy Spirit to be burning bright enough in all of us that God can begin to mold us and fashion us into the person he wants us to be. He wants us to be sizzling hot believers. Sizzling hot. You should be able to touch your neighbor and and feel the heat. Come on, touch him. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You know know what Jesus said in in Revelation 3.15? And I'm going to paraphrase it, okay? But it does say this. He says, I wish you were hot. That's what Jesus said. You can read it for yourself. Revelation 3.15, I wish you were hot. Look to your neighbor and say, I wish you were sizzling hot. Yes. Now listen. Listen. We're going to switch gears and for a moment go into a marriage seminar. Husbands, if you're with your wife, look at her right now and say, you are hot, baby. Come on, come on. And if she's not your wife, don't you say that. You might get a slap in love. Amen. Did you do it, guys? Tell them, tell them. Tell them you're hot. Go on, take, take a moment. Go on, look at her in the eye and say, mm, you're hot. Okay. The marriage seminar is over. <laughs> you know, uh, in life, you can have a flamethrower approach to life. You've seen flamethrowers, you know, in the movies. Guys have those big packs on them, and they, and they, and they, they uh, use the flamethrower, and fire goes everywhere, right? And heat goes everywhere, and it makes a lot of commotion, a lot of noise. You can go through life like a, a flamethrower. You're, you're not going to really accomplish much. You're going to scorch a lot of people. Or you can be a blue-tip flame for Christ. So I took a welding class when I was in high school, and I loved playing with, I loved fire, you know? And so I took this welding class, and the cool thing, when you get, when you get the, the, the uh, flame to, to become a blue-tip flame, it becomes so hot you can cut through steel. And when it comes to our faith, we don't want to have this flamethrower approach. <laughs> you know, just, just burn everything up and just a lot of commotion, a lot of heat, a lot of emotion, but it's empty, right? We want to be focused and intense in our spiritual faith until our, 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 our temperature and our fire and the flame in our life becomes like a blue-tip flame. And then... You can cut through steel. You can cut through anything. Here's the second thing that fire does. It purifies. God uses fire in the Bible, as we mentioned, to punish. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter 3, 10. This is the Holy Scriptures. It's not some blog from some pastor in Florida. This is God's word, okay, that we're about to read. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The skies will disappear with a loud noise. Everything in them will be destroyed, say it with me, by fire. And the earth and everything in it, say it with me, 
will be burned up. Everything means what? Everything. You mean my car? Yes. You mean my house? Yes. You mean my bank account? Yes. You mean my signed Michael Jordan jersey? Yes. Everything will be burned. But I have this gun safe in my house and it says up to 2,000 degrees. It ain't going to help. Okay? Everything. Verse 11. In that way, everything will be destroyed. So. Now Peter's talking to Christians. So. What kind of people should you be? Are you listening, church? That's how it's all going to end. In a ball of fire. Because of this, what type of person should you and I be? It's a good question. Peter answers it for us. Let's read it out loud together. You should live holy lives and serve God. Stop. How should we live then in light of this truth? We should what? Live holy lives and serve God. What does it mean to live a holy life? What does it mean to serve God? You know, we don't have to dig in to the Greek and do an exegesis and a hermeneutic study on this, right? We know in our hearts what it means to live a holy life and to serve God. That our number one priority is to serve him. And we do it with joy because it is a privilege. Verse 12, as you wait, as you wait for and look forward to the coming of the day of God, when that day comes, the skies will be destroyed with fire and everything in them will melt with heat. But God made a promise to us and we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth Will, where goodness will, uh, goodness will live. We are waiting and we are looking forward to the time when God has promised there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. God is going to start all over again and all of us who love and trust Jesus will be with him and will live with him forever and ever and ever and ever the eternal ceaseless ages of God with man upon the earth. How awesome is that? That is just around the corner. That is going to happen. Everything that we see, everything that we feel, everything that we hear, everything that we taste, everything that we touch, and everything that we smell is just temporary. But this will be forever. And the final thing that fire does is it illuminates. We are living in dark times, spiritually speaking. It's no surprise, and it shouldn't be a surprise. But as we live in this dark world of ours, darkened by disobedience and sin, God has given us a sure light to light the way and to guide us through. His word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. It's the Holy Spirit that brings illumination. And church, it's the Holy Spirit. According to John 16, 13, Jesus said he leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy uh, of Holies, in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the, in, the temp in the temple, 
the only illumination in the Holy of Holies that the high priest would enter into once a year to offer atonement for the sins of Israel for that entire year. The only illumination came from a, a, a fire that burned that was to never burn out, which was a type of the Holy Spirit. There were candles that were lit by that fire, these candelabras that were lit by that fire, and they would burn and give illumination, and that was, once again, a symbol and a sign of the Holy Spirit. The darkest places in our world today are dark because the light of the gospel has never shined. The brightest places in our world today, the most illuminated, well-lit, intellectual and spiritual places in our world today are that way because the light of the gospel has shined. And where that light shines the brightest, people know their way through the darkness. Look at what 2 Peter 1.19 says. So we have confirmation of the words of the prophets, and you will be right to pay attention to it as to a lamp for lighting a way through the dark. What is, what is Scripture? The prophecies of old, the prophets, the apostles, the writings of the epistles and the gospels and the Holy Bible. What, what, it's a lamp. The Holy Spirit has given us for lighting our way through the dark until the dawn comes and the morning star rises in your minds. You know, John 3, you can start playing. As soon as you're up there, you can start playing. That's, that's when the Holy Spirit's going to start moving now. Amen. <laughs> I do believe that. I, I do. I, I might joke about it. I do believe that. When Saul, King Saul was tormented, go ahead, stop. I don't hear it. You can hear it? Am I hearing it? There is from heaven. <laughs> King Saul would be tormented by demons. And he would call and young David would come in and play the, play the harp. And those tormenting spirits would lift. You know, through music, we can invite tormenting spirits into our life. Or through music, we can drive tormenting spirits out of our life. So at this time, as we, as we conclude, the Holy Spirit brings illumination. You know, the amazing thing about light, light can fill a, a small room or a large room. The interesting thing is the light always remains the same in essence and power to fill. It's the size of the room that determines the volume of light. And I pray that the size of our faith and the size of our hearts and the size of our desires and longing for more of the illumination of the Holy Spirit would come into our lives. We're getting ready to have our Inspire Conference. I cannot, we don't have a lot of these throughout the year. I think this is like the only one we have all year. And we have it at the time that you shouldn't have a conference in the summer. Nobody wants to come to church in the summer, you know. And like people are like, change it to the fall or the spring. And I'm like, well, listen, you know, uh, Pentecost happens 50 days after Easter. So we want to kind of keep it on the same calendar year of the Bible. But it's so important for you to be here, be a part of these services. As these gifted, anointed speakers come in to just not douse the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but to fan the flames of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives, a time of, of spiritual deepening and renewal for us as a church and for us individually. Why is this important? One of the greatest evangelists that's ever lived is Charles G. Finney. He's the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. He is personally responsible for the second great awakening and revival that spread throughout the United States of America 
in the latter 1800s. He was born in Connecticut. He was a Presbyterian member of the church. He became radically saved, called to the ministry, left practicing law, and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He moved to New York, uh, started a church. It grew. He became in great demand, began to preach throughout all of New York. The fire spread of revival throughout all of New York, throughout all of America. It actually leaped over the Atlantic Ocean into Europe, and he was an instrument that was mightily, mightily used of God in a profound way. Much of his theological writings are still taught in, in Bible colleges and seminaries today. And here's what he said in his own personal experience of the Holy Spirit baptism in fire. And I'm, I'm quoting. As I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I had ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other until I recollect. I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more. Yet I had no fear of death. This is the mighty work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer as we open ourselves to him. And we say, God, may you first of all have more of me so that I can have more of you. And may your fire burn in my heart, brighter, more, with more intensity than it's ever burned before. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you for the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. We thank you for the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in our hearts right now, God. A fire that when it burns bright enough will cause a husband to love his wife like she deserves to be loved. Will cause a wife to love her husband as he deserves to be loved. Will cause parents to love their children as they deserve to be loved. Will cause young people to love God as he deserves to be loved by young people seeking after him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for touching our lives. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can open up your heart. You can receive him by faith. Just pray this prayer out loud. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart with the rest of us. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and fire, and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family? We love you guys.